As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast all about a life following Watford FC. It's a midweek. Watford played another game of football. Uh, we're we're going to be doing this two games a week. It's going to be great. Love it. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, then please do go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, uh, where you can get a uh, half price discount this month. But uh, we'll be we speaking to Adam about his, uh, his, his upcoming um, articles, uh, particularly about the transfer window and Jonathan Bond. A bit later on, he caught up with Mike at the game. Both of them were at that game. We were watching at home, weren't we, Colin? Good evening. We certainly were watching at home. Yeah, and uh, Jason was as well. Good evening. And it was, you know, Watford won, uh, Barnsley nil. Uh, the, the, the the thing that's annoyed me the most about the last two games is actually, on aggregate, it's two draws with Huddersfield and now Barnsley. Yeah, but you could look at it the other way, um, uh, John, and say that the teams that beat us, we've now gone and beaten. So that's got to show something, some improvement. In attitude, when you play a team that's already beaten you, obviously you want to get your revenge. But sometimes you don't have the confidence or the belief that you can get your revenge against a team that's already beaten you. And uh, we've beaten two of the teams that have beaten us this season. So I think that's that's a that's a good sign of improvement. Always quite nice. But Jason, this this game, um, where, how did Watford win this game? Where where was this game won? Was it the defence holding on? Was it the midfield creating goals? Or was it the attack making goals? It's a it's a funny one, isn't it? I, I thought the game as a whole was entertaining at times lacked a bit of quality but then at times I thought we played some really nice stuff on another day we could have won that three or four nil but ultimately we didn't ultimately at the end we weren't exactly hanging on but you could imagine nerves were there and the defense had a had a job to do I say the defense I think as a team we defended as a whole as I think we have done under Shisco since he's come in I don't know. I felt nervous, but then that's because I'm a fan. I don't yeah, know if exactly, the team yeah, themselves yeah. actually felt nervous. Sear Outer's header, <laughs> which was, I think, the only thing that Backman had to do pretty much all night. Was that was that a sign of nerves? I'm not sure. It's, yeah, a, a strange one because we deserve the three points. We, we, we absolutely deserve to win that game because 
Barnsley for all their three men up front and the uh, fantastic boy from Hemel, uh, Corley Woodrow, he, I think he had one deflected shot and we, we kept them pretty quiet. So if you have to pick a position on the field that said we won the game, you'd say the defence. Because it wasn't the, uh, the the attack, as Jason said. Oh, can, we, can we go without saying his name? Mm, um, we'll try. I don't, um, yeah. I don't think we'll get it, but we'll try. Um, you know, Colin, that attack, though, like Jason said, we, we could have easier won that game comfortably uh, and definitely not felt as nervous as Jason says what the fans felt in the, at the end of that game. Um, opportunities were made. They, they just weren't finished. That is true. I just want to pick up on what Jason just said before I talk about the, yeah. um, the front line. Uh, what I find weird under Munoz is that we seem to be actually better defensively than uh, we were under Ivic, who was known as a, as a defensive coach and set us up very much to defend and then try and hit on the break. And weirdly, under Munoz, who's a, who seems to be a much more attack-minded coach, you know, there were times tonight when we could see four or five men up on, the 18, on their 18-yard line waiting for balls to come in which we didn't see under Rivic. And yet somehow we seem more dynamic defensively. And I think that that is, again, I think that's to do with team spirit and a belief that everyone has got to defend and everyone has got to get involved in attacking. But as you say, John, quite rightly, the uh, we created some great chances. Um, Saar's final ball tonight was a bit patchy, as you would expect with a young player, but there were some moments of real quality from him where he put balls in and you, you were just desperate for someone to put them away. And, and uh, unfortunately, they fell to a player who we've spoken about a bit over the over the last few months. But I, I really liked watching Gray tonight. And I know that's going to elicit moans from some of our listeners. But I, I thought it was a step forward for him. I thought that he had the handbrake off and he was trying to get in, constantly get into good positions and give himself a chance of scoring. He never hides. He always gives everything he's got. But he's very low on confidence in terms of sort of finishing off the chances. But tonight he had two or three really good chances and and the keeper read them well. Barnsley were interesting. Barnsley, uh, something Mooney mentioned in the commentary, Barnsley played a very high line and that does help Gray, obviously. And he got caught offside quite a lot, which is what happens when a team plays a high line because you're you're slightly gambling all the time thinking, I can just get on the shoulder here. I can just get through there. If I can, that ball can be released a second earlier, I'll be in one-on-one. So I, I thought he did all right. But, um, you know, for him to get a run in this side, to, to advance his his Watford career, if I if I if you if I can put it like that, he needs to start taking these chances that are being created for him to show the coach and the fans and the club that he is the man to score 10, 12 goals this season and 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 push us towards the top of the table. But at the moment, despite an improvement in his positioning and in his running and in his eagerness uh, to show for his wingers or for his second striker, his finishing just isn't isn't quite there yet. It isn't. Um, and I said to my friend Dylan on, on on messages, I said, you know, Dylan, I think he's probably got to score about 15 goals just to get out of his overdraft uh, with Watford fans. But you say, <laughs> it, it, it's a step. And I don't think, I, I, I do never, I never expect a player to go from zero to 50,000 in one game. It is about no. those steps. And it did feel like a, a good step. The, the perfect would have been a goal because, you know, that meant his next step and his next step would come, hopefully, fairly quickly. Jason, one man who did, you know, he is on his little path back. Um, he's made a few steps already. It was another 90 minutes for Will Hughes in the midfield. Yeah, good to, good to see him back playing a full 90 again. We know he's had his uh, illness slash injury problems uh, earlier in the season. Got his 90 under his belt at, at Old Trafford. Always a, a good place to to sort of come back into the first team, uh, make a first team start. 
and then again tonight. And it was, um, yeah, it was a, a good, solid performance. So there was no flair about it, no, no, no thrills, no thrills. And uh, but he did what he had to do. I think when we actually talked about the defending, the way we set up, we played at four four two. I I don't think as a well, as a midfield pairing, you, you can't overcommit. There's always that risk that you're going to get overrun in midfield. But actually, tonight, the way Barnsley played, uh, that looks like that was less likely to happen. Even so, neither him nor Cleverly nor Chalabar when he was on, no one sort of really overcommitted. They just did what they had to do in the middle, got the tackles in. I think there was a good, solid tackle from him um, towards the end. I think there are a couple of times where... He's touched, let him down a little bit. And again, that will come, I think, with sort of match sharpness. Once he gets more game time under his belt, that, that will get better, that will improve. And we'll start to see those sort of silky skills, those little turns, pirouettes, that low centre of gravity that he's got to be a bit more creative. But good enough for a man coming back from uh, a, a long time out. I think you're slightly under underplaying uh, Hughes's contribution <laughs> tonight. I, I thought that he was absolutely the standout player in the whole game, and I agree with you. He's, he's you know, there's there's room for improvement. He is a little bit rusty, but what I really like about Hughes, uh, what he does for us, one, he does a lot of running for Tom Cleverley because even though Cleverley's still got this incredible engine at 32, you know, it, it's good to see Hughes buzzing around, helping Cleverley not have to do so, so much of the legwork. But the thing that Hughes really does for us, and I think it was really shown tonight, because it, uh, the first 20 minutes we were a little bit under the cosh and then we kind of got a bit of, more of control of the game in the, in the second uh, half of the first half, so to speak. What Hughes does for us is he's very, very good at setting a tempo. And when we, when we had Etienne at times in the Premier League or in the Championship and when we had Decore, sometimes the tempo was, was slower than most fans would like. You'd like to see the ball being moved a bit quicker. You can catch teams out. You can turn them so they have to run towards their own goal. You can slip players through if you play at a high tempo. And, and, and in, the, in the past, with those two players I just mentioned, sometimes it, it, things did get rather turgid and slow. But what Hughes does, he brings this kind of, um, slightly manic energy onto the pitch. Uh, he does snap into tackles. He is a good tackler, though. He rarely picks up, a, a, you know, a bad yellow card. Sort of, you know, he never seems to get himself in trouble in terms of discipline. I suspect that's because referees just like him because he's such a nice fella. But um, <laughs> uh, he set the tempo really well for us tonight. Him and Cleverly together really can do that. And uh, even though we were being pressurised by Barnsley's three-four-three system. You know, they were able to finally get a bit more control of the game. The, the wider men came a bit more narrow, gave them some support. And I just like the, the way we're so compact with defence, midfield and attack. The way we seem to go up together and come back together. And I think Hughes is, again, someone who leads by example. He's up there buzzing around the D, trying to get pick up a ball and pass it out wide or play a little intricate pass into Gray or Deeney. And then, you know, a few seconds later, he's in front of RD, trying to, you know, put out fires and... And uh, and when he does get the ball, he does have that that thing which is really quite rare, I think, particularly in the championship. He's he's got he's got great vision. I think, as as Glenn Hodder would say, sees all the pictures. But he's got great short short distance passing. He can pass the ball perfectly five yards, which just takes the pressure off himself. Then he can receive the ball back, and then he can pass it out wide into space. And suddenly, where there was pressure, now we've got the ball, we've got control of the ball, and so on. And I, I think Hughes is absolutely crucial 
uh, for this team, uh, for this for our sort of eleven. Great to see him playing ninety minutes. Great to see him playing with that kind of tempo and confidence. And I, again, I think that's a real positive from uh, from tonight's match. Uh, a player who has had a, an injury. All these players are coming back. Uh, Jao Pedro, Jason. He didn't start. Uh, so Troy Deeney started in, in, instead. We know Jao's had a, an injury. There's a lot of games coming up. The feeling is he would have been first choice for, for most Watford fans to, to be the, the starting man up front. But Troy did, uh, alongside Andre Gray. So it was, it was the two of them up there. Um, we talked about their lack of partnership, um, maybe in the in the last game that they played together. Uh, but, you know, Troy got his, his penalty and, hey, he whacked it straight down the middle. Really, really, really hard. Um, and I think, <laughs> now, Colin, before, you know, it, 138th goal for Watford, but his 200th of his career. Is that, is that what we're saying? Yeah, that's right. I think he's played for a number. He's played for Halzo in town and Chelmsley and Walsall. But um, he's reached that penalty was his 200th career goal. So, I mean, that's an incredible milestone for any professional player, I think, to get to 200. Not many players get to that kind of number. So for him to score 200 goals in professional football by the age of 32 is is a fantastic achievement. And uh, his penalty, I think he's actually injured himself taking that penalty because he went off not long afterwards. Yeah. And we got got a a shout from Mike, who's in the ground, saying he's had to strap his calf. If you hit a ball, a football, I can remember back in the the far distant past, (laughs) hitting a ball that hard. If you hit it that hard, you can really do some damage to your calf muscle. And uh, he hit it so hard. It, I do enjoy watching the keepers try to hold their nerve and stand still and try and parry it, which is exactly what the Barnsley keeper did. And he hit it so hard and it was all head height. And he dropped down a little bit, the keeper, and tried to get his hands on him and he just blasted him into the back of the net. But, you know, sooner or later, one of them will stop one of those, I think. And uh, so he might need to mix it up if he's on the pitch when we get a pen. But Jason, his role, like in the in the overall performance, uh, was was better for you, or, or is he still being pulled in the in the wrong directions to make the most out of him? Yeah, you talked you talked about a partnership with Andre Gray originally there, and again that wasn't quite there for me again today. I thought there were a couple of times where Troy has actually tried to play Andre in, and either Andre's got caught offside or he's, he's got the ball right, and and that looks okay. Um, but there were times where it just felt like they were too far apart and you don't mm. sort of get that that sort of pivot, that tandem, that sort of the, the one-twos that you could get um, working from a strike partnership. And and, and the, I think the there was a shot of them uh, in the stand when they'd both been subbed off talking together and that's probably the closest they'd been all night. <laughs> but is that is that them um, or is that and their performance or is that what they're being asked to do in the team? I, I, I was going to say actually that potentially it could be the way they're asked to play and I think it's a similar thing with, with Pedro and Dini on, on Saturday. There's that, we've talked already about the high line that Barnsley play and the fact that Andre was sort of looking to, he was on the, the shoulder of the, the last defender looking to break as often as he could Again, we're seeing both our, our midfield our, and our centre-backs and our full-backs at times playing the ball long, looking to sort of get behind the Barnsley defence as quickly as possible. No centre-back in the world likes the ball going over his head and having to turn round and, and sort of chase a really quick striker. So we're looking to sort of take advantage of that of that quick line. So if if Troy's coming back deep to defend or deep to receive the ball, Andre's going to stay on that that last man so perhaps that gives us options perhaps perhaps we are doing a bit a bit of a disservice by saying they're they're staying far apart because perhaps that's what we're looking to do to, for the options we know we've got our quick wide man as well out there we've got Saar with pace we've got Semmer with a lot of skill so if Troy drops deep he's gonna have options to pass to out wide as well as 
being able to knock one over the top for for Andre. So perhaps that's the the way it's going to be. It'll be interesting to see how it sort of pans out over the next few weeks as we see more and more games under Cisco. Uh, Ishmael Saar, uh, Jason, you know, the, one of the other only uh, the only uh, starting eleven player that we we haven't really spoken about. Felt for me like a game, a good game. Felt for me he was he was doing his thing, but definitely felt like you know this very long championship season. It, it's the sort of game we are going to see from all of them, um, which is just not quite on the money. I definitely think we've seen an improvement in him over the last couple of games. I thought Saturday was probably his best game for some time there definitely seems to be a bit more of a sort of hunger and desire about him there's still the odd occasional occasion where he, he sort of awards himself a free kick he, he feels a challenge he goes down he doesn't play to the whistle perhaps he could try and ride a challenge beat the man carry on but he doesn't he'll go down and, and look for the free kick and doesn't always get it and then looks a bit upset but i think there's a, a bit more steel about him at the moment and we even saw him smile tonight as well there was a brilliant moment of skill down by the byline where he he was probably a bit unlucky i think it was mentioned that he could have got the, the ball off to ken Semmer a bit earlier i don't think it he quite had the ball under control at that point had to sort of make another move and then look to play the ball, by which time the Barnsley defence have got back in and managed to block it. Um, but I think we are seeing a lot of work from him, a good work rate that I don't think we saw under Rivich or sort of earlier in the season. It, it, there would have been a lot more sort of shrugging his shoulders and, and a lot more frustration from him, whereas now there seems to be a bit more desire to run back, chase back, help out um, his full back in defending and he's still showing we know what we can do in terms of pace final ball probably needs to be better um, the the one where Andre's got up with him I think that was okay that was fine that was a, that not the easiest ball to put in and, and get with the keeper rushing out I think he did as well as he could with that one but there are others where whether he's chosen not to cross it to Gray and look for someone else given what happened in the first half or he's just made the wrong decision that could still be better but otherwise I definitely think he's on the up the uh, the substitutions uh, all five Colin he made all five I think that's one of the rarities we've had some just straight swaps Cathcart came on Chalabar came on and, and, and Gakia came on right near the end but I suppose the, the Zinkenagel effect we're still looking for uh, again have we, did we start to see what he what he could offer and there was a, you know, a little bit of a you know, swapping around with him and and, and Zar on the left on the on the right. So is he in the right place? Uh, where where do we think and what do we think just from the little we've seen of him? Well, I, I think he clearly looks like a good player, and he helped to see the game out in those last. I mean, he came on I think after seventy two minutes, so or sixty minutes, sixty two minutes. So he had quite a long, good a good half an hour on the pitch, which is good, I think, for him uh, settling into a new club and a new side. And he started off, they swapped and he went to the right and Saar came to the left. And then Saar obviously wasn't happy with that or, or Munoz wasn't. And they swapped back. Saar is naturally better, I think, on the right side. He, he finds himself over there on the left occasionally. And there's no, I haven't got a problem with that. I don't like, I like the fact that our team is a bit less rigid in terms of positioning as it was under Ivic. But um, I think Zinkanal, the problem is that Zinkanal likes to play on the right in this position that, that, that Saar plays in. And I, I, I mean, when he came to the club, I thought, Oh, right. So we bought a right winger because Saar's going to, you know, be off somewhere. But that doesn't look very likely now. So um, I think it is tricky to find a spot for him. He scored a lot of goals last season for Bodo uh, in northern Norway. So he, he's obviously got an eye for goal. I think he scored 18 goals or something like that. 
But what he did do was he was he did his job. He got he he did uh, he he helped the team, particularly in those last sort of ten or fifteen minutes. He stayed out there on the left. He he came back. He did his work. He picked the ball up. And when he gets the ball, I mean, he picked the ball up in our own half under pressure with Barnsley players all around him. And he was able to skip past a couple of challenges and find a bit of space for himself and then make a pass. He's obviously a really, really good player. I think, you know, at, for the championship at this level, he looks like a cultured, cultured player. So I'm hoping that Munoz can find a way to integrate him into the side because technically he looks as good as someone like Hughes, I think, uh, from the little we've seen of him. He's, uh, but he's, he's right-footed, so it's not ideal playing him down the left. So you're going to have to find a way uh, to get him in the side. And I suspect uh, in, for the time being, that is going to be off the bench, uh, unless he wants to give Sarah a rest or if Semo, you know, picks up a, a knock or something. Or he can maybe go up and play alongside Pedro or Dini or, you know, maybe he can play more centrally. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we, we haven't, you know, we don't see him every day on the training ground. So it's very hard for us to, to know the extent of his ability. But I think he's a good signing. And I think every time he comes on, he, he's calm. In possession of the ball, he seems confident. He's he's looking to 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 find space and pass the ball to someone who isn't under pressure. And I I think uh, I like uh, I like the look of him. Can I just say before I finish? Can I, can we just can I just talk a little bit about um, the man between the sticks? Because actually, he made two fantastic saves today, and we haven't seen Batman do a lot because in the games he's played, we've we've looked pretty strong defensively, and he hasn't had much to do. But the first one, it was it, the whistle was blown from a push from a corner, Barnsley corner, ball comes over, he pushes our defender and goes up and heads the ball back across the goal. And then another Barnsley player heads it goalward and, and Batman makes a great save. And he definitely made it. He definitely won't have heard the whistle but before he made that save. That was a great instinctive save because I thought that was a goal. I thought that was it. And then I heard the whistle and thought, okay, well, this, you know, there's been a foul or it's a pen, worse, worse. But it wasn't. It was, a, it was a foul on one of our defenders. So that was a good one. We're in fairly safe hands with him and I, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more of him. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. Before the game, Mike caught up with Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, to find out what Adam is up to. 
uh, at the moment. And of course, what's going on with this transfer window? Something that he's got his fingers right on the pulse of that. Plus, he, he's caught up with a, uh, a former Hornet who's uh, off to sunnier climes. <laughs> Adam Leventhal, it is January. I don't know how many days are left in it. Quite a few, unfortunately, it feels like. January for you means only one thing, not New Year's resolutions, the transfer window. What do you got for us, big boy? (laughs) That's a lovely lovely intro. Thank you. Well, I think we're we're heading into the business end of the the transfer window. Obviously, there's a, a lot of sort of calls for Watford to be doing certain business. Obviously, there's been a lot of calls for for a striker, for a proper replacement for Etienne Capu to come in. And I've done a piece for The Athletic, which is sort of just previewing the business end and going through the various departments of the team. And I thought it'd be sort of handy just to point people in the direction of that, because there's quite a lot of detail in it about lots of different players. And, and, you know, starting off in goal, obviously we're in a situation now where Daniel Backman is in is in goal because Ben Foster's injured his finger, and that's going to have a little bit of an impact. So they're on the they're on the lookout for a backup goalkeeper that has to be a, a temporary. I'm quite happy to come in and sit on the bench sort of bloke, but that's sort of another element to the transfer window that is not necessarily top priority, but it's something that's happening. So in the goalkeeping department, that's 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 one thing. They've obviously got you know succession planning going on as well with the hope that Daniel Batman can take this opportunity and then next season when it will be Ben Foster's last season in terms of his contract he can be the experienced number two that maybe um, Pirelio Gomez has been for, for, for other goalkeepers Can I just ask you what the, if obviously you might not know but just the view on Pontus Dahlberg because he yeah. looks to be doing pretty well in, in Sweden I'm not sure what the timings of the Swedish league is but what's the, what's the hope and, and planning around him? I guess the ideal scenario would have been with the Swedish season ending, he would have come back off his loan at BK Hacken, I think it's pronounced, and then he would have been straight in as as the third choice or pushing with Backman Foster. He's had some sort of operation. I'm not quite sure what it is. So he's on the sidelines at the moment. So that sort of means that they have to try and sort out some sort of goalkeeping backup at the moment. And I think that, I, I think if you look at it in a sort of a pecking order, and this isn't necessarily going to please Pontus Dahlberg, but you know they are they are seeing Backman as as, a, as the next one in line. And I know there's great hope, hopes for Dahlberg. You know he's been performing really well, and you know he's been in the Swedish setup and all that sort of stuff. So you know they've got they've got they're in a good position. You know there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about the positions that Watford aren't in a good position in. They seem to be quite well set. There. You might you might have heard Adam just pause there briefly. That's because we've just had the footballing equivalent of the Barnsley players shouting four yeah. as a misplaced crossfield warm-up ball almost uh, landed on the head of the Watford players warming up over the other side of the pitch. So if you heard Adam hesitate there, that's what that was, just a, a roar of uh, warning from the Barnsley players, a footballing four, if you will. So uh, back to business, goalkeepers, uh, they're, they're on the lookout. Yeah. In front of him, what are we looking for defensively? the defensive department is an area with big issues it's more that there are subplots to sort out contracts to to make sure that they're on top of I know that Ben Wilmot they want to try and tie him down to another to another contract and and then you look at you know the amount of players that they've got they've got what five central defenders for two positions you know you look at the lineup this evening against Barnsley well stocked you know you've got Cathcart and Wilmot on the bench you've got Cabaselli still injured or in the studio you know for Hive Live so they're well set for that um, in the fullbacks they have managed to sort of craft a, a decent situation 
having seen a lot of the focus on, oh, we need a left back, we need a left back, right? They've got Messina back, that's fine. You've got Ngakia who can play on both sides. Navarro has come back in the mix. And despite a shaky start, when I first watched him, I think it was the Oxford game, I thought, hang on a minute, he's, you know, he's, he's gone a bit. But I think he's done all right when he's come on. He can't take a free kick, by the way. I wish he would just, <laughs> I wish he would just leave them alone. But they obviously see something on the training ground. He's obviously whizzing them in. But look, anyway, fullbacks are fine. I suppose there'll only be there'll be a little bit of a concern over, you know, whether anyone genuinely makes a, a proper go for Kiko Femenia. But he's said, look, I'm happy to stay for this for this season. And, you know, he has been our player of the season so far. So I think they will go, you know, pull out all the stops to make sure that he does he does stick around. The words perhaps this week from someone who's enjoying sort of that senior role, someone who recognises his importance to the team and someone who might be able to hopefully drag Watford back into the Premier League. Because as you rightly say, I think Kiko, certainly my player of the season. But there is one other thing I wanted to say on the defenders and, and, and Kiko as well, that, you know, he's now, yeah, he's got that senior role because you've got a Spanish head coach there as well. So he can be a conduit as well yeah, yeah. from getting the message across on the, on the pitch, but also alongside um, Francisco Sierralto, who said that, you know, he's been a real help to him. So, you know, there's those little elements yeah, to, yeah. to having him in that, in that team at the moment that is, that is really important. And one, one other thing to, to talk about in terms of defenders we've got lots of central defenders but there's been talk about Craig Dawson you know that deal to West Ham and he's been doing well there going through for for two to three million pounds I don't necessarily think that's something that's going to be done in this January transfer window they will they will look at that and and probably work it out in the summer so midfield can we find an Etienne Capoue replacement could anyone find an Etienne Capoue replacement in short no I think they would like to that has been the aim from the beginning that they would like to do certain things, but they have been hindered by the fact that they can't bring someone in without getting rid of someone. So, you know, they have to balance it out and then they have to look at the options that they've got. And, you know, like with Messina coming back, you're strengthening from from within. You've got your players back available. You've now got Will Hughes back in and it's Hughes and Cleverly. And I think that that's, you know, that's a decent partnership in a two. We'll see how it, you know, see how it goes longer term. Um, You've then got Shalabar, You've then got Ghana for this season. You've got Kina to come back. You've got maybe Ben Wilmot, if he's not getting a look in in the defence, maybe if they want to start playing a three, he can be that, he could sit there. So they have got options. And I know that that's not going to please everyone, but I can sort of understand that it's like, it's very difficult to buy a player of the calibre of Kapu. And there was talk about Wallace from Udinese, who's a sort of similar similar profile. I'm not necessarily sure if that is going to happen. That seems to have sort of drifted away a little bit. So as we're going through it, it's like, right, so nothing's happening there. Nothing's <laughs> happening. But, but you have to sort of weigh it all up. And these are all the sort of, it's like in Homeland and Carrie Matheson with that big wall, <laughs> with all this stuff going on, trying to sort of tie it all together. It's, it's not as straightforward as just bringing players in because as we've seen, and this is, a, this is also, you know, a recent example. You know, you bring in Glenn Murray to cover Troy Deeney. We've, you know, segued into going into the strikers there. But you bring in um, Glenn Murray, Troy Deeney stays. He's literally in the stands. He's not even here. I mean, he doesn't even come anymore. You know, it's like, you know, they're trying to get him, trying to get him out. Um, so you don't want to you don't want to buy someone if you've if you've got a, a relatively well stocked department like the midfield department. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do have some sympathy in the fact that it's not it's not easy as we've said on a, on a number of occasions. I've looked uh, since the game on uh, Saturday against Huddersfield. I looked at that, that team sheet for I don't know why massive geek I suppose. But you look at the team sheet and you think well if that team had taken to the field last season in the Premier League 
you wouldn't have been worried. Yeah. You know, that looks like a Premier League side. So I think your point earlier, Adam, about what Munoz is having to do, utilising people like Kiko as a conduit between him and... Yeah. It's, it's more about meshing it together, certainly with the defence and midfield. We've got a bit of a duel, I think, in, in Will Hughes, who's coming back. We're speaking before the Barnsley game. This is his first start for a while. We'll see in all the... The team out there high-fiving as they finish their warm-up, which is encouraging. Also saw uh, Chalabar and Pedro dancing their way out when they uh, came out to warm up. So some good signs in the in the midfield and, and defence. And I think, like you say, it's more perhaps tweaking it and, and just getting the best out of them and, and whether they can do it. Finally then, and this is probably the one that causes most people most concern, yeah. with understandably so as well. You look at We've all watched the games. We've all seen a struggle to score goals. What's going on up top? Well, and, and you can include, you know, Ishmael Assar in this as well. Obviously, there's going to be more attention on, on, on him over the course of the next 10 days or whatever it is. And just a, a point as well, to, to just to sort of get people thinking as well. They're almost working minus one day in this transfer window as well because Watford play on deadline day on February the 1st against QPR. And you remember that happened back in, in the summer. And it was almost like that, that day, because it was, yes, it was deadline day, but it was a redundant day because they were playing. So they're not going to pull players out if you don't get your business done with Watford this this transfer window ahead of minus one then you know they've got an excuse to say well no come on look we've got to concentrate on our games you've left it right right to the last minute in terms of Saar you know there will be interest I'm sure um, there will be inquiries but at the moment I think they'll be quite happy for, for this sort of silence this wall of silence to carry on and, and maybe no one is, is going to be taking the risk on a, on a big amount of money that Watford will want in terms of other other players, obviously, you know, let's not forget they have brought in a creative player who can also add to the mix in midfield as well. You know, Zinkanagel can play in midfield if you, if you want to do that. Something that you asked me about, you know, way back when, is he actually come in to help with the creativity of losing Kapu as well? So, you know, that's that's the side of it too. Um, so, you know, he can he can offer extra support for Semmer or, or Saar if he goes potentially. And then it's it's a case of yes, you know, Andre Gray for example, if they were able to move him on and get some money for him and recoup some of the money that they've, you know, they spent on him, 18 and a half million pounds. And if no one has read the article that I wrote about him, it's probably worth just having a look at because it is, um, it's balanced. It's not that the XG doesn't make great reading, but hopefully there's, there's a bit of balance in there in terms of finding a way forward. But yeah, they'd have to move someone out to get someone in. in. They need that. We've said it so many times, haven't we? They need the strikers to deliver and you know, João Pedro is, is, is one that seems to just be popping up when he needs to. Again, it's probably not going to be a department that they do a lot of business in. But again, it's going to be tough if they do sell big to find someone big to replace them. So that's also part of it. It's like, well, the longer it goes on, the less likely they're going to leave themselves high and dry, I suppose. So there you have it then. So it's probably a case of finessing what we have potentially. Uh, we've learned never to say never, of course, watching... Uh, watching Watford it can be unpredictable Adam mentioned his article about Andre Gray there fascinating reading do check it out and that that XG sort of model uh, does tell its own story really there um, and also make sure you check out Adam's article about the transfer window as well speaking about transfers I did just want to touch on one person Adam with a Watford um, Watford link it's quite cold here tonight before Barnsley but someone who's made the step from West Brom to warmer climbs Los Angeles Jonathan Bond and I can't every time I think about Jonathan Bond I think about him hurtling over Gianfranco Zola we're sat in the Selton, Elton John stand yes. jumping over him that tumultuous day uh, at home to uh, Leicester in the playoff game 
a, a sort of quite a strange one, really, that he's gone to, to MLS and uh, he's now a Galactico, effectively. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really good to catch up with him, actually, um, because, you know, the, the deal was done last week and now he's in a sort of um, his, his break, basically, before the start of the MLS season. They don't know exactly when it's going to be starting. They're going to try and ratify that relatively soon. But it's a really exciting opportunity for him because, you know, he obviously got quite a decent chance early on in his career when he was 18, 19 years old at Watford. And then the move to Reading didn't really go to plan. He then came back in and um, had a, a decent loan spell at Peterborough where he sort of rediscovered his, his love for the game and then went to West Brom, worked with some decent coaches. He, he talks about Neil Cutler, who's, who's at Aston Villa, who's a, one of the top goalkeeper coaches. And he spent six months with him at West Brom and he said that those lessons that he's learned will last him for a lifetime. So he feels in really good fettle now and hopefully he can now go into the galaxy and uh, be, the, be the number one. An interesting thing I found out, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't au fait with, with Galaxy's um, full stock of goalkeepers, but Jonathan Klinsman, who's Jürgen's son, is, is one, of their, one of their keepers and I, sort of, I found that quite interesting. Um, but also we did, as you mentioned, we reflected on his time at Watford and, and on that moment, with Gianfranco Zola and he said oh no no don't put that in the article it's embarrassing <laughs> because obviously he'd had the, the big hoo-ha with Leeds and getting knocked out and all that sort of stuff and we talked about that um, but then it, he was basically saying he hadn't realised that Troy Deeney had run into the stand so he thought that everyone was running out onto the pitch and he just wanted someone to cuddle and, and Zola growing up as a Chelsea fan was one of his big heroes but it, it ended up and he said it just ended up that I was just there just sort of tickling tickling him for a bit until he fell over so um, no it was great to speak to him and I, and I hope people enjoy the article you know obviously in the UK um, but also in the States as well because you know it's a big opportunity for, for um, an English guy but he has a US passport as well his, his mum's from um, Seattle grew up as a, as a Sounders fan yeah hopefully it'll, it'll be interesting to fans either side of the pond so yeah it's been good a Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. You know, there's, there's, there's several things to a game. You know, we've talked about the individuals and, and what they've done and what they've learned and where they're going. But I suppose that there's, the, there's the team, particularly play a game like, you know, against Barnsley, Jason, who we know are a, a decent side uh, in championship terms uh, and can, you know, and beat us in a very championshipy way uh, back in October. Do you think there's a, you know, we've got this run of games coming up that Watford fans are sort of hanging hanging their hats on, you know, waiting to see, you know, this is the run, get a great one, run, get five wins in a row, we're up there, we're going to be pushing. And, and you know, we're putting the pressure on ourselves, uh, making it nervous for us. But do you think there was enough you've seen different from the last Barnsley game, the team that, you know, that Ivic put out back in October to the, the team that played today that thinks we're going to be able to deal with these sides better and we're learning how to deal with them better? Yeah, I think so. And and it, I think it comes down to what Colin was talking about earlier, where we're less defensive, but we're defending better. And I think it's because we're defending more on the front foot and we're more aggressive. They, they, the cliche is defence starts with attack, isn't it? Is that way round or is it the other way round? I can't remember. Um, First line of defence is the striker. Yeah, something like that. They, yeah. So And, and, and I just think, yeah, that it, because we're more attacking, I think we, we're breeding more confidence in the team. We are, whilst... Okay, we we probably did create good chances tonight, and I think that's again that's a step in the right direction because we're creating more. We we threatened to create more chances a lot already under Shisco. It's breeding confidence throughout the side. Now, what will be interesting is that we've got Stoke uh, on Friday night away from home. 
that's going to be a very, very tricky fixture. Um, we've had. Well, you hope they're going to be absolutely shattered after a three-three, uh, <laughs> work, you know, uh, draw against Rotherham today. You know, they they probably have put a lot of effort to to get back into that game. So fingers crossed. You never know. Still, only ninety minutes, same as we've played, same night. So we're going to get the same amount of rest, um, and it's going to be a difficult, difficult place to go. We've seen one uh, away league game under Munoz and that ended in a in defeat at an equally difficult place to go in Swansea so it'll be interesting to see what the progression is from in that short time from then to now um, I'm sure both the players and the coaching staff will have learned a lot about each other in that time so hopefully we will see uh, an improved performance against the, uh, the the last away league performance but yeah I just think that the, the confidence is there now it's a lot better and that sort of the, the way We've been defending. It, there's a lot more energy about the defending. I think there were times where the ball was sort of pinging about the box and we were sort of throwing bodies at it. I think at one point Troy was back there defending when he was still on the pitch, sort of getting a block in. It, it just seems to be a lot more enthusiasm about it. And I think also if you play in a way where you're sitting back, you sometimes you're almost expecting chances to happen. You know, you, you, you're... You're in that defensive mindset. You're set up to to not lose. You're going to be nervous about chances happening because the ball and the action is in that sort of final third of the pitch more than perhaps you'd want it to be. Whereas if you're taking control of the game, if you're taking the initiative, and whilst we didn't see that across the board as much as we did uh, in a game against Huddersfield where we I thought we were completely in control. It's, I'll use that word again, it's, it's all about confidence. You're going to breed confidence because you're feeling a lot more positive as a team that you're making things happen rather than soaking things up and waiting for something to happen. Does that make sense? I think that's, a, that's the perfect analysis. I, th- I think that's exactly what's happened and I think it's making a massive difference. It's certainly making us a lot more fun to watch. A lot more fun to watch. But but where are you, Jack? Where are you, Colin, at the moment? You know, as a Watford fan, five games now into this new era, even though I don't, I don't think any Watford manager for a long, long time has had enough games to be considered an era. I keep saying it, though. Um, <laughs> where, where, where are you at? I mean, you know, we're up to third. We're on 43 points, plus 11 goals. We're, we're, we, are, we, it's, we are sort of where you want us to be and we expect us to be. I'll tell you exactly where I am, John. What I'm finding hard is the way we are really ever since the Potsos have come in and I, and I, and I don't blame them for it at all. It's, it's a natural state of being a football fan. But um, one of the things that's, that's happened, I think, to football generally, but to a club like us that you could argue is a kind of, not quite a yo-yo club, but a club that really has a good chance of getting promoted, but once promoted has a really good chance of getting relegated, right? That's, that's the sort of club we are. We're like Norwich and West Brom and other Fulham and other teams that have that have done that uh, over the past few years, and, and what I'm fi- what I'm finding hard is just enjoying watching my team play because I'm either obsessed with oh if we win this game then we get to third and if we get the- if we win that game on Friday that will move us up you know that sort of obsession. But the other thing I and I I, I don't want to be negative because it's not really my role, but um, I would like to just uh, a note of caution for Watford fans who seem to have. Uh, an expectation this season, despite when you consider that about 11 players left the club in the summer, if we get promoted this season, I don't think this squad is ready to fight a campaign in the Premier League. And uh, when you consider the, the squad we went up with in 2015, and I know the Pozzos went out and bought 
quite a lot of players, brought a lot of players into the club that summer. But actually the core of that championship side, Gomez, uh, Abdi, Dini, Gallo, they... They stayed in the side and we had some, you know, we had some new arrivals who came into the team and, and we did well in that first season under Kike Sanchez Flores. This time, I think the, the, the task, if we get promoted this summer, say, to bring players in, enough players in that will really give us a fighting chance of staying up in the Premier League, seems like an awful, awfully big task. What worries me, and I'll finish in a second, if we go up with this squad and we augment it a little bit, I worry that we could get embarrassed in the Premier League. And I really don't want to see these, these, these young players who I really like and I think they've got real potential to, to go through a season like that could really damage them. So I don't really know what the answer is, John. But um, if you ask me where I am with Watford, with my expectations, my feelings, that's kind of, that's kind of where I am at the moment. And it's, I'm, you know, it's quite a confused place for me to be. You are confused, but I think you're way down the line. I think you're way down the line. We've got plenty of football to go between now and the end of the season. <laughs> there'll be ups, there'll be downs, there'll be rounds, and there'll be abouts. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how this season fares on from the Rookery. And, of course, we'll be back after the game against Stoke on the weekend uh, for more analysis, uh, more sharing of our thoughts and happiness, or not happiness, um, of this, uh, this season for Watford. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jason. All right, thank you. Uh, and thank you very much for everyone who's uh, sent us their feedback and their thoughts about the Marvin Sordell interview that Mike did uh, for the weekend podcast. Uh, it, was, it was quite refreshing. And uh, you might have noticed in this podcast, I'm doing my absolute best to not call the footballers by their surnames uh, after what Marvin said about their, their identity. It's not going to work. It's not going to be easy. Um, but you can catch that podcast uh, if you haven't yet uh, on our feed. Uh, we're back, as I said, after the Stoke game. Uh, and come on, yawn! The Athletic.